Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, back in the book of Jeremiah, the amazing book of Jeremiah, and uh, there are some uh, notes back there. If you need to fill in, if you like to fill in the blanks, back in the back, feel free to get some. If not, if there's, if they've run out or whatever, there you can always look at the Home Church app and follow along there. Do the fill in the blank there as well. So, yeah, some of you don't need notes at all. You're really smart and you just remember everything. So, good job. All right. Well, art, art, art has a way of getting into your mind and your emotions and art has a way of helping you remember something that you wouldn't otherwise remember paintings music poetry uh, all these things do this so so well i've mentioned this painting before it's something that i think of often but there is one painting that kind of just sticks in my mind and has a grip on my uh grip on my my brain. Um, actually, I don't know if that's going to work for you quite yet. Like, like we said, the power was off this morning, and my brain is half scrambled. So would you pray for me, please, this morning? I mean, the whole morning was off. I just threw everything off. So, so here we go. That should work. Thank you. I was wondering how that always changes. Up it's there. magical. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> So if you'll show that painting, please. So this is a painting that it was by Danny Halbum. It's called Clinging to the Cross. And it, it, just, it, just has a, it, it has just had a way of weaseling itself into my mind, burrowing deep in there. And I think of it often. It's a picture that reminds me of something that's so special and precious to every believer. It's a reminder that the cross is my only chance of survival. That's it. Because of the cross, I have a settled future. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Because of the cross, I have a settled future. And a settled future gives me a settled heart right now. We'll see in a minute that Jeremiah says that a settled future helps him sleep sweetly at night. He has sweet sleep. You know, knowing you're going to heaven is a powerful thing. Knowing you're going to heaven. I hear this all the time from Christians who've lost loved ones. Anybody who's lost someone they love that's, been, that's born again, if you're at a funeral, they always talk about it. every single one. The hope of heaven, it makes all the difference in the world. I just know I'll see them again. It settled my heart for sure. It helps me keeps some semblance of sanity. I'm not all the way sane, but it, it keeps some sanity. Our firstborn baby, uh, Jesslyn, who died right in my arms. My mom, who's in heaven. You know, I, knowing that I'm going to see them again makes all the difference in the world. A settled future gives me a settled heart now. A believer always has hope. I like what John Corson said. This, right now, we're living, this is the worst it will ever be for the Christian. <laughs> But it's the best it will ever be for the non-Christian. 
And for Jeremiah, it was now time to give the Jews a word of hope. This is the worst it'll ever be, everybody. There's a day coming that you will not believe. It's time to give you a word of hope, something that they could hold on to, the the exiles that are now in Babylon and the people left behind in Jerusalem. They were in captivity. People were dealing with all sorts of crazy things and the future was fuzzy. How is this all gonna be resolved? And really what we're gonna look at today, it's a word about heaven. Specifically, it's about the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus comes to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. God was, good, give them, God was giving them a hope for their future, a settled future. Remember last week, Jeremiah 29, 11, we talked about that famous verse, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, God said, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, an expected end. That's in chapter 29, and then chapters 30 through 33, he begins to give details. God gives Jeremiah details about this expected end. These chapters, 30 through 33, are well known. They're called the Book of Consolation. And these people, God's people, needed some consoling. Things were worse than they had ever been for them. And after two deportations out of Judah, the first group, remember Daniel went with them, the second group, kings and priests and prophets and all kinds of people went in that second group, and a large number. And so really there's just a few left, the last standing king. And so, and they decide to rebel. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes against them. He says, that's it, I'm done with these people. He starts a siege there in Judah that's lasting 18 months. We're probably right in the middle of this siege. We see that from chapter 32, but right in the middle of this siege when Jeremiah writes the words that we're gonna look at. People are starving. The enemy is at the gate. The end is inevitable. We're gonna die. Something's gonna, bad's gonna happen. The leader, their leadership has failed them. Death, desperation, depression is everywhere. And God comes in with a word that true believers who believe in God can hold on to in the worst possible moment. And as we read through this, you're gonna see that there are some partial fulfillments in the near future for Israel, but then also there's a complete fulfillment in the distant future for them. And they can hold on to both of them. Jeremiah had already said, 70 years and you'll be back in the land. And so that's something they could hold on to. But this prophecy, what we're gonna look at now, is something that includes some, far more than just 70 years back in the, in the land again. There's, there's things in there that are much bigger than just that. And as I mentioned, ultimately it's a prophecy about the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus comes again, that we're still waiting for. By the way, God does show Jeremiah something right before this coming kingdom. And in chapter 30, God reveals that there's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, he says. Time of horrible pain for Israel. And we know that as the great tribulation. And then right after that, it says that the king is coming to set up his throne. And that's what we see in Revelation. The time of Jacob's trouble, the great seven-year great tribulation. And then right after that, the second coming of Christ. And he's going to set up his kingdom and sit on David's throne. So we're going to look at chapter 31 today. We're going to kind of roll through quickly. Chapter 31 is a good representation of 30 through 33. And we're going to kind of look through it, see these, this description of this kingdom that's coming. And these are all things that any believer in Christ is going to get to. So you're going to get them right along with the believing Jews 
So if you're a believer this morning, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what we're about to look at should encourage the tar out of you. All right, I hope you're encouraged today because of what we're gonna read. We're gonna move through these quickly. Here we go. First of all, there's gonna be a loving relationship in that day, a loving relationship. Jeremiah 31 and verse one. At the same time, now that is important, at the same time, it's referring back to the last verse in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 24 that said the latter days, talking about the latter days. So at the same time, this is so now we're talking about the latter days, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So this word, rest here, means to settle. To settle. God is going to settle them. He says, I'm going to settle you in the land. But not just a, a, a physical settling, but there's going to be a heartfelt settling. There's going to be a settling in your heart. God's going to cause them to rest because of his grace. They found grace in the wilderness. God's going to do this by his grace. It's not because of their good works that God's going to give them their rest. It's because of the grace of God that he's going to give them this rest someday. And this everlasting love, he's going to do it because he loves them. This everlasting love refers to his covenant love with Israel. You know, it's, it, in other words, it's like a husband who has made a covenant with his wife. And God is saying, I've made a covenant. Over and over again in the book of uh, Jeremiah, he's talked about, I've loved you as a, as a husband, and you're my wife, but you've walked away from me. And God's saying here, I've loved you with an everlasting love, like a husband who will not let his wife go no matter how much she has broken his heart. I will not let you go, and I will bring you back into this land because of my covenant love, my everlasting love. And then after that, there's a prosperous rebuilding Look at verse four. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with tabrets, meaning tab tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye! And let us go up to the Zion, or to Zion, unto the Lord our God. Hey, Jeremiah is telling everybody, listen, there's coming a wonderful, beautiful day. A prosperous day that you won't believe. In that day, the watchmen that are typically watching for enemies are no longer going to be watching for enemies. They're going to be welcoming the pilgrims on their way into, the, into God's house, into Jerusalem, into Zion. Everyone will be will want to be in Jerusalem because it's going to be a happy place. It's going to be a beautiful place. It's going to be a prosperous place. So it's going to be a, a prosperous day. Then a praise-filled homecoming. Verse 7, For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the women with child, and her uh, that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. 
I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. God is just pumping them up, telling them what this future is going to be like. Ephraim is another word for Israel here, since they were, Ephraim was the largest of the northern tribes. He's just using that as a word for Israel. He's saying God is a father to Israel. So he's going to gather all his children from all over the globe to come home. They will come weeping for joy. It's going to be tears of joy as they, just, as they march into Jerusalem and then with supplications and worship. What a beautiful image in our mind to see all these people just coming back so excited to come into the kingdom. It has been so bad for them, but they're finally getting to that day when Jesus is king. Now, I want to just say this. For centuries, this prophecy and prophecies like this looked impossible. But people who believed the word of God trusted that God would do this and will do this. I want you to listen to this quote from a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And this is Charles Spurgeon in 1855. Here's part of what he, here's a uh, portion of what he said. I believe in the restoration of the Jews to their own land in the last days. I am a firm believer in the gathering in of the Jews at a future time. Before Jesus Christ shall come upon this earth again, the Jews shall be permitted to go to their beloved Palestine. Now that's in 1855. Almost 100 years later, in 1948, you know what happened. Something that happened that nobody expected. A great miracle when Israel was, was once again established as a nation and their Jew, as a Jewish state in their, in their land. And Jews from all over the world have been streaming in ever since. As wonderful and miraculous as that was, though, it still is not fulfilled fully this, this glory, the, the glory of this promise that Jeremiah gave. Israel is now there, but they are gathered in unbelief because they have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But this promise will be fully fulfilled when Israel comes to faith in, in the Messiah, faith in Jesus. But you know, what we're talking about here is that sometimes these fulfillments of these prophecies that God has given come in stages. And God's, God seems to be setting the stage. 1948, he begins to start bringing people back, bringing people back, bringing people back, and establishing this nation. So if, if uh, Charles Spurgeon in 1855 could trust that the promises are true, then certainly us today that have already seen things starting to happen can trust the promises of God. This is going to happen. Let us with faith trust in the promises of God. Nothing will pass away until all is fulfilled, Jesus said. Then another description of the reign of Christ on earth. Here we go, a forever joy, a forever joy. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and of their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Apologize for our, our uh, thing here. It looks like we might be out of a battery. You can grab that or just 
I don't know, or, although you might have to stand there, huh? You might, she's going to be my standing uh, assistant, I think. Can you put a seat over there for her? Would you do that? For that? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I call her, by the way, she does all the clicking for me, and so you know how the, every, at churches, everybody's a pastor these days, you know, the pastor of this, pastor of this, pastor, so I call her my clicker pastor, so if you don't mind, she's my clicker pastor, she's doing a great job. She's worth millions. That's right, that's right. We're at verse, we're at verse uh, 12. Let's look at verse 12. At the end of verse 12, there we go. Their soul shall be as a watered garden, and look at this last phrase, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. They shall not sorrow any more at all. What a great picture. Again, it has to be of the future. When there's a day coming that there's going to be no more sorrow. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young and men Young men and old together, they were going to dance, it says. For I will return their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Now this kind of joy can only come to the redeemed and to the ransomed, as it said in those verses. These redeemed people, these ransomed people uh, come singing in the height of Zion and they dance. Even the young men and the old men get to dancing together. Everybody's just dancing. I mean, when, you get, when it gets so, when the excitement of Jesus gets so inside of you in the day when all of this that we're living through right now is over, and we're entering into those gates of Jerusalem and we're just praising God and thanking him for putting this all together. Woo, I'm telling you what, I'm finally gonna be a good dancer on that day. You know, we get, we get bits of joy here and now. There's, there's some good days. Don't get me wrong. There's some good days and some great joy, but nothing like what we're gonna experience in this day. And look at this, the people will be so filled with joy of the Lord that they will be giving all kinds of tithes and offerings, basically. I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness. The idea here is that the priests would have great abundance because the people were so blessed. And they're giving their, oh, they're just giving, giving, giving. It's a sign of great abundance and everybody's just grateful to the goodness of God. Lord, you've just been so good that you've just filled us, filled us with so much. Then, a supernatural comfort. Verse 15, thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Again, we're talking about Israel here primarily. This is the prophecy given to Israel. But it's a word picture, Rachel. Rachel, who is the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. She is weeping in despair from Ramah where she is buried. She's weeping in despair. So she's, the picture is she's coming out of her grave just weeping over her children who are exiled in Babylon. And all of the, the horrible things that are happening. And this mother just is uh, so overtaken with grief. But God says, comfort is coming to you, Rachel. Comfort's coming because your children are coming back. 
They're miraculously going to be returning to the land. By the way, this is a powerful prayer, a great prayer to pray for a wayward child who's not walking with the Lord. Oh God, I'm like Rachel, I'm weeping, weeping. But Lord, would you bring them back? Would you bring them back? Would you restore joy because of this miraculous work? Someone called it rubber band theology. God puts his rubber band around his kids. And no matter how far they go, <laughs> God's gonna, they're going to come flying back one day. But the further they go, the more painful the consequences. Then there's a humble returning. When the people do come back, what's their heart going to be? When they, when they come into the land and Jesus is the king, what's the attitude going to be? It's going to be humble. Verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. This is what they're saying. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him, God says. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. This is like the prodigal son story here. Israel will return to their father with a brand new humility. Because of all the chastisement that God has poured out and has had to pour out. On their, in their incredible sin. But God says that there's coming a day when I'll bring you back. And you'll say, Lord, you were right to chastise us. That was the right thing to do. And I thank you. And now I repent and we come to you. And I'm ashamed of how I lived. And this also shows that God never stopped loving them. And he never will. In fact, it says his bowels were troubled. His bowels were troubled. What a descriptive term. The seat of emotions in the Old Testament literally means his stomach was churning. God felt like a parent who has a rebellious or prodigal child. Their stomach just churns and it's just a, it's a feeling that never quite goes away. Yes, Israel, you've sinned, but God will allow you to come home. Welcome home. God is so merciful. God is so merciful. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you come, come to him with this kind of a humble heart and he comes running just like that prodigal father. I, a societal peace is next. Set thee up waymarks. Make thee high heaps. Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel. Turn again to these thy cities. God's saying, leave landmarks on your way out of Jerusalem. You're being captive. Leave those landmarks on your way out of town because guess what? You're going to be returning, and you're going to see those landmarks. Then, when you're there, set your heart on the highway so that you'll return whither the way that you went. In other words, return to your first love, the way you used to be. Come to me. Come back. Come back. Verse 22, how long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Now this means women are finally going to start being nice to men in that day. I'm just kidding. That's not what that means. Okay, I'm just, that's a joke. 
<laughs> Here's what this means. <laughs> Here's what this means. I have no idea. <laughs> and no one seems to know for sure. I read a lot of people on this. The best answer I saw was this, that women, it is, it's going to be such a, a secure day. The day when Jesus is in control, the day of peace, is going to be such a great day that the women shall protect the men. <laughs> you, could just, you could put your women out there as the protectors because it's, it's going to be fine. Men, go to work, do your thing, because it's going to be a safe, safe environment. I don't know, but a sweet word. Verse 23, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as, the, as yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof when I shall bring again their captivity. Here's what they'll say. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all the cities thereof together husbandmen, farmers, and they that go forth with flocks. And I have satiated or saturated or uh, fulfilled the weary soul. And I have replenished every sorrowful soul. There will be a sense there on that day of perfect justice. Wouldn't, won't that be nice? <laughs> a sense of perfect justice and perfect holiness. No sin in the land because of the king of kings. Everybody's gonna say that. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. It will permeate down to the cities and the farmers and to every single soul. Everyone will live in a sense of fullness and satisfaction. No one will ever feel empty. No one will ever feel anxious or sorrowful. It's a, it's a day of just great peace. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look on his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the, this promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Thank you for singing that song this morning. When we all get to heaven. Verse 26, now Jeremiah takes a little personal moment here. Upon this I awaked. He must have been getting this all in a dream. Upon this I awaked and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. Why was Jeremiah's sleep so sweet? Not because of the circumstances he was in. It was a horrible circumstance. The situation there was horrible. There was starvation and pain all around from the siege that was going on. Why was his sleep so sweet? It's because of God's good word. There's a settled future, Jeremiah, so you can go to sleep tonight. A settled future should give you a settled heart. But wait, there's more. God gave him more. A complete reset. Look at verse 27. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow or plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. Men and beast and animals everywhere. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. This is a really a reference to the first chapter of Jeremiah, the original calling of God on Jeremiah's ministry. He said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and then to build up and to plant. And this was finally after all these years of Jeremiah preaching the bad news, really, of God's judgment coming. 
Now Jeremiah is giving the building up and the sowing and the planting. You know, I don't know about you, but I love the rebuilding work of God in my life. It's a, that's a wonderful time when he's sowing and rebuilding and doing, doing something in my heart. I don't always love when he breaks down, though, and when he throws down and when he plucks up some things in my life. It hurts, but God has to do it, and thank God that he does it. But because he's a faithful God in those moments, he'll be a faithful God to rebuild and to sow and to plant and to make it all like he wants it to be as well. Verse 29, in those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour, a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. This was apparently a popular proverb back in the day. Ezekiel references it too. It means that the father's sins, the father sins, but the children pay the price for the father's sins. He's eaten the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. They're accusing God of not being fair. God, you're judging us because of our father's sins. But Jeremiah had made it so clear that this current punishment in Babylon was also for their own sins. Yes, there has been generations of sins that God's going to deal with. But you have your own set of incredible iniquities. So this popular ancient proverb is a mistake and it will never again be heard. And then we come to a central point of Jeremiah and it's a beautiful passage and I wanted to get to this. It's a new covenant. The new covenant that God was going to make with the Jews and how it related to their future. So verse 31, here we go, a new covenant. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So here, let me begin. God was going to make a new covenant with them that was different than the Mosaic covenant or the Sinai covenant. When God made a special covenant with Moses as they came out of the land and Moses went up on uh, up to Mount Sinai and God gave him a, a covenant with made a covenant with the people. And he gave them all the sacrifices and and the law and all these different things that that they were to abide by. By the way, the Jews have had the privilege of being the megaphone for God to the whole world. That, that's, that is what their purpose has been from the very beginning. The, the scriptures came through the Jews. The prophets came through the Jews. The law, God's desires for mankind came through the Jews. Jesus himself was a Jew. And all the apostles, Jews. Everything we believe came from God through the Jewish people. The Jews are God's megaphone to the world showing us who God is and how he relates and what he desires and showing us what we need to do. Now the Jewish people are currently rebelling against the Messiah, so God has turned to the Gentiles. And throughout the Bible, God reveals his plan of redemption through a series of covenants with his people, with these children of Abraham, these Jewish people. So after the fall in the, of, of humanity in, uh, in Genesis, 
We get to Genesis chapter 11 and the story of the covenants begin. God begins to make covenants with his people. He makes it first with Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. He promised Abraham a land, a nation, and a blessing. Jesus is the blessing. And the, the great blessed Jesus is going to come and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through this blessing. Then there's the Mosaic covenant. And God gave this to Moses. He gave Israel the law, the sacrifices, and the choice of blessing or cursing, if they would obey or not obey. And the sign of this covenant was, was the blood sacrifices, and the initiation of the covenant was the blood of animal sacrifices. Then you go a little further time, and God gives a covenant with David that promised an everlasting dynasty, a perfect ruler, and then the promised Messiah that would sit on the throne someday. And now Jeremiah comes, and he says, now God is giving a new covenant. A brand new covenant. And Ezekiel mentions it too, and uh, slightly a few others. But God's plan of redemption through the covenants is now completed and perfected in this new covenant. And there's three things in this new covenant. A gathered Israel. There's a promise of cleansing and spiritual transformation, something from the inside. And then there's this reign of Messiah at the very end. Now here are the specifics that Jeremiah talks about. Let's look at verse 33. We only have a few minutes. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Quickly, a couple things to note. First of all, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's five times he says, I will. This is God and God alone making this happen. It's his covenant. It was not dependent on something Israel did or did not do. God was going to do this. By the way, we don't make deals with God. He makes deals with us, okay? But you hear people, me and God have an understanding. We've got an understanding. No, you don't make deals with God. You come to God on his terms. He makes deals with us. And then another thing to note that it's for Israel, verse 31. This is a new covenant with Israel. It's a covenant made with the Jews. But the New Testament makes it clear that Gentile Christians, those who believe in Jesus, anyone who believes, are included in this because they are in Christ. And you are grafted into this vine and you get to share the blessings of this new covenant that God's talking about. And then Jesus initiated this new covenant on the night of, his la of the last supper. Remember Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is referring to his death on the cross that would make the new covenant possible. He was initiating the new covenant then. But it will not be fully fulfilled until Jesus comes again and sets up his kingdom. There's parts of it that we already see happening, but the full fulfillment is still to come. The stage is being set, and just like Israel becoming a nation again in 1948, but there's still a greater promise beyond that. It's similar with this. We see the beginning stages of the new covenant already in our lives, and you can take it to the bank that we're already in because we trust in Jesus. The new covenant gives believers a power of a new mind, it says in verse 33, and a heart to obey God's law. A great example of that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. 
Jesus came to his house and, and Zacchaeus just gave his heart to the Lord and he said, you know what? He announced to everybody, I'm gonna pay back. Nobody told him to do that. Nobody told him. He just, he would just met Jesus and all of a sudden there was a new, uh, there was a new motivation in his heart to follow God from deep inside of him and he knew what he needed to do. And that's what happens when you accept Jesus. There's all of a sudden a new motivation to do right, to live what God says to do, and to follow the law of God. That's the whole point here. He didn't abolish the law. The new covenant actually says, now gives you a new motivation to fulfill the law, to obey what God has said to do. The new covenant gives true believers the power to have a first personal fellowship with him, no matter who you are. That's what it says in verse 33. From the young to the old, everybody. You can have a personal relationship with the God of heaven. Then the new covenant gives true believers the power to directly approach God without the assistance of a priest or any blood of the lamb or because Jesus' blood has already been spilled. Old Testament saints had a personal relationship with God. I do believe that. You can't read the book of Psalms and not see that David had a personal relationship with God. However, for sin cleansing, they were still under the priestly system and the sacrificial system. And so now... In, in the new covenant, there's no more need for that. There is a direct approach uh, with the whole sin issue. It's been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. You just go straight there to the Lord. And then lastly, the new covenant gives true believers the power to receive forgiveness of sins forever. The power of sin is gone. The penalty of sin is gone right now if you've trusted in Jesus. But someday, the presence of sin will even be gone. You won't even have to deal with it. Someday we'll be in heaven, and that's the fulfillment of the new covenant. No more sin. No more sin. You're very blessed today if you've put your trust in Jesus. These blessings of the new covenant are already yours forever. That's an amazing blessing. Lastly, there's a timeless guarantee if you're filling out your covenant, or your, <laughs> your covenant, if you're filling out your blanks there. And I, I want to say in verses 35 to 37, God gives a guarantee that he's going to make this happen for the Jewish people. He says, basically, if the sun's still in the sky, then take it to the bank. God's not done with Israel. If you can measure the cosmos, then that's when God is going to cast off his seed. Basically, in other words, it ain't going to happen ever. God is going to fulfill this. He's going to do this for Israel, no matter who does what or anything that happens. Some of the reformers of old, like John Calvin and Martin Luther, said that the church replaces Israel. This cannot be. It cannot be because of guarantees like this one. He, he's not done with Israel. He's not done with Israel. He's not done. And then lastly, it's a literal city. The last three verses there, when God restores and rebuilds Jerusalem, he actually gives specific places here. He draws out the lines and he says, go to Gerub and Goath and Kidron. And I mean, he gives actual, literal places. This is no, when we get to the new Jerusalem, there's no spiritualized, made-up VR city. You know, this is a real place with ac actual geographical markers. And this is a literal, sure word of prophecy, and it settles our hearts. Why does this prophecy settle our hearts? Why does it just calm us down? Because because we know that God has the future all, all settled. Amen. A settled future gives us a settled heart. Remember everybody, this is as bad as it will ever get for the Christian today. Do you believe everybody? The way some Christians believe and live, it seems like they don't believe heaven's coming. 
They're not even happy. They're fearful, self-focused, perpetually sad, sometimes materialistic and so bound to this earth. No matter what we're facing, may I encourage us to lift up our head. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. Word host means armies. The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. Selah. The King of glory is soon coming to take us to this amazing kingdom we've been talking about. Lord, right now. As you're we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.